All right, good morning, everybody. If you want to turn your Bibles to Judges, chapters, uh, we'll do 9 and 10 this morning. We'll be doing the practice for the kids singing after second service, just so you know. I don't know if there's anybody here that that pertains to, but wanted to make sure I got that out there. We'll be doing it the 25th, the 2nd, the 9th, and the 16th. And there's flyers for you if you're interested in taking one to remind you of when those practice times are. All right, let's get right to it. Um, we move into a, a little bit of a story. Gideon died last week and uh, um, had 70 sons. That'll be important for today. Um, one of them from a concubine. That'll be important also um, to, to the story. Um, don't have a judge in chapter 9. We do in, in chapter 10. We have a couple of them that we'll get to. So mainly this is a story. Kind of gives us a snapshot of what it looks like when Israel wasn't walking with the Lord, because that's where we left off. Israel's, you know, they went back to leaving God and, and, and apostate, uh, and, and they're, um, they're walking without him. And so this is what it kind of looks like when man's governing himself, okay, is, is the picture we have here. Abimelech, um, one of the sons of Gideon or Jeroboam, uh, decides to get this plan, and he's the, he's the son of the, the uh, concubine, he gets this plan to kill off all the rest of his brothers so that he can be the only ruler because the household really is still ruling. Um, and people are kind of like that. You, there's a little nostalgia there with Gideon. Gideon said, I don't want to rule. I don't want to be the king. And he made the ephod to kind of uh, get people's eyes off of him and onto God. God is the one. You know, was, that's what it was meant to be. And they began to worship the ephod and, and that went bad. And, um, and so now they've got these 70 brothers after dad's dead, and they're all kind of walking around, you know, like we own the place. And uh, Abimelech gets ambitious and decides to kill off his brothers. So um, maybe hasn't been fully accepted into the family. I don't want to look into the psychology of Abimelech, but I can, you know, maybe there's just a part of him that's, you know, well, yeah, but your mom's a concubine, you know, kind of thing. In a mixed family like that, that can happen. And so there's Abimelech, he's a little bitter towards his brothers, and he says, I'm, I think I'll rule by myself. So he talks to people about a conspiracy to overthrow his brothers. And people are kind of open to stuff. Um, sometimes we can get into a place where we'll just kind of, yeah, you know. I, and, and I don't want to make fun of the storm here at all. Um, I, I do that. I have my own opinions about, we don't live in the 1800s. You know, we're going to be okay. We're going to survive. And uh, Hy-Vee will be open in an hour and a half, you know, and we'll be able to get there. And the snows, you know, be, we'll be fine. Um, not, I was a different story driving all the way down there on highways and slipping and all that. I get all the slipperiness. But sometimes I think we're looking for things to be excited about or dramatic about. And I notice that about people. They just, they, they look for something and they grab onto it. They say, <laughs> snowmageddon, you know, this is it. You know, bread, milk, and five inches of snow. Five inches of snow. I mean, I think we'll be all right. Um, and so we can get ourselves into a place where we're either bored with life or something, and so we, we look for drama. We look for some, something to be emotional about. Um, and I kind of see that in this story. These guys are all primed. Things are going okay. We get to rule. Abimelech's bored being one of 70 so he says, why don't we just take out 69 of my brothers? I mean, it's an extreme plan, obviously. Nobody wants to kill their siblings. Well, I don't think, anyway. You shouldn't if you're here. Um, 
but it's amazing how many people are like, yeah, but I'm like, I think that's a good idea. How many people jump on board? And, and I look across our world sometimes, not, not to this extreme, but I'm surprised at how many people have just little ideas and how many people jump on board these ridiculously stupid ideas. And, and you've got to prepare our hearts as Christians. One of the, one of the uh, attributes of a mature, growing Christian is stability. They're even. They're, they're not up, up and down. They, they don't have emotional you know, outbursts and scream and freak and, and then absolute lows and drops in their life where they're just not sure if anything matters anymore. A Christian's level. There, there are some of those. I mean, we have those moments that are pretty uh, surprising to us in our lives, and so we react, and there's nothing wrong with that. God gave us emotion for a reason, but not to the point where we're, we're crazy up and down. And so the mature, growing Christian is a stable person that hears the idea but then thinks about it a little bit, prays about it, and says, yeah, no, I don't, I don't think that's a good idea. And they bring it to God. These guys are without God. So here's where our story begins. Then Abimelech, the son of Jerubbabel, or Gideon, went to uh, Shechem, one of the cities, to his mother's brothers, and spoke with them, and with all the family of the house of his mother's father, saying, please speak in the hearing of all the men of Shechem. Which is better for you? that all 70 of the sons of Jerubbabel or Gideon reign over you, or that uh, one reign over you. Remember that I am your own flesh and bone. So we got the story. He's gone to his mom, the concubine's house, her brothers, that side of the family, not exactly included, you know. Do you really want all these other guys ruling? I mean, wouldn't it be better if, if I, um, you know, I'm your descendant, I'm one of, I'm one of you people, you know, um, instead of these in-laws over here kind of thing. And his mother's brothers spoke all these words concerning him in the hearing of all the men of Shechem. And their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he is our brother. <laughs> so their answer to this great plan to kill 69 men was, yeah, he's our brother. It's just ridiculous, the, some of the things that people come up with. But it, this is a Wild West time for the nation of Israel. And they, they have those moments, you know, where it's like, wow. I mean, it's gunslinging or sword slinging or sling slinging, you know, times. And uh, it's interesting. So yeah, why not? I mean, let's, let's kill the brother. So they gave him 70 shekels of sil silver from the temple of Baal Berith. I keep wanting to say Bertha for some reason when I read that, but it's Berith, Baal Berith, with, the, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men and they followed him. I like to underline those kind of words when the Bible talks like that. These were worthless and reckless men, you know. Um, uh, these are guys that were just mercenaries, you know. I remember, um, well, it doesn't matter what I remember. These are worthless and reckless men. Then he went to his father's house at uh, Ophrah uh, and killed his brothers and 70 sons of Jerubbabel uh, on one stone. That was fast. That was it. That's all we get. And we grabbed him and we killed him on one stone. So they kind of lined him up and, you know, ding, ding, ding. I mean, that's a lot of killing. 69 guys in a line. And they just wiped them all out on this one stone. Um, but Jotham, the young, was so 68. But Jotham, the youngest of Jerubbabel, was left. So he escapes, this youngest kid. He's like, I'm not going to stand on the back of this line any longer. So he takes off. I don't know what it really looked like. but And all the men of Shechem gathered together um, all of Beth Milo, 
Uh, and they went and made Abimelech king beside the terebinth tree at the pillar that was in Shechem. The terebinth tree comes up a lot. You'll see that. That's where Deborah was. You remember, and a lot of times that terebinth tree will come up. Pretty important tree. And I don't know if it was just the kind or whether it's really literally just one gigantic growing old tree that just spans Israel's history. But it's a place, if anything, where judgment would be given or uh, prophecies would be given. It was just kind of God's little place, usually, except for now. So they make him king there. It's like an important place, like the steps of the courthouse or something, basically. So here they are. They make him king. But that other kid's out there somewhere. So now when they told, told Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount uh, Gerizim and lifted his voice and cried out. And he said to them, so he's on top of this mountain to where everybody can hear him. Okay, it's just, he's yelling out and, and there's a sort of a natural backdrop to him so that his voice is amplified so everybody can hear him. And he's going to pronounce... Um, well, he's going to tell a parable, but it really ends up being more of a prophecy. It kind of turns into that. Um, and so here's what he says. Listen to me, you men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. And so he goes this story about the trees. Uh, the tree once went forth to anoint, a, the trees once went forth to anoint a king over them. And they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, should I cease giving my oil? with which they honor God and men, and go to sway over trees. Uh, then the trees said to the fig tree, you come and reign over us. But the fig trees, or fig tree said to them, um, should I cease my sweetness and my good fruit and go to sway over trees? Then the trees said to the vine, you come over and reign over us. And the vine said to them, should I cease my new wine, both, uh, with, which cheers both God and men, and go to sway over trees? Uh, then all the trees said to the bramble, and that's like the thorn bushes out there, obviously, you come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in truth you anoint me as king over you, then come and take shelter in my shade. But if not, let fire come out from, uh, of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now, the, the, you know, to spiritualize the text, um, God's best for us is for him to rule over us. That's what he wants. And, Sometimes we go looking for something a little less than God, but a little more than us. Um, and so you find something like the olive tree, um, and you go through all these things until finally you come to something that will rule over you, and it's a bramble bush. But a bramble bush has no business ruling over trees, does it? And that's why he describes it. The bramble bush, this little scrubby, thorny, nasty shrub, is going to rule over the cedars of Lebanon. Okay, And, and, and the idea behind that poetic imagery is to show you the size and look look what these cedars are bowing down to and that should show us and it's meant to show us in our lives as human beings we're meant to worship something greater not something less than us and we all know that i hope i mean that's why we're here we're worshiping god but we never want to make god into something less than us we never want to build him into our image or less than our image we were made in the image of god now we're not gods obviously, but we were made in the image of God. And so we're pretty high up there. We're made a little lower than the angels, but as far as that, everything else is concerned, it's way below us. It's bramble bushes. But sometimes we find ourselves worshiping those things or willing to let those things lord over us, however you want to put it. That's just basically sin in our lives. Okay. Um, now he's going to continue on here after this story. Now, af now, therefore, he says, after he tells them a little story about the trees, 
Now, therefore, if you have acted in truth and sincerity in making Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jerubbabel and his house and have done to him as he deserves, that's obviously sarcasm. You haven't. You killed all of my brothers. I'm the only one left. Now, there's a little statement. For my father fought for you, risked his life, and delivered you out of the hand of Midian. But you have risen up against my father's house this day and killed his 70 sons on one stone and made Abimelech, the son of his female servant, king over the men of Shechem because he is your brother. So in other words, you haven't dealt well with my family. If then you have acted in truth and sincerity uh, with Gideon or Jerubbabel and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. I, I, it'll be a marriage made in heaven, he says. It'll be awesome. You'll love him and he'll love you. But if not, if this was the wrong thing to do, if this was something that you came up with in your own mind, in your own flesh, here's what's going to happen. Let fire come from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem and Beth Milo. And let fire come from the men of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. He's going to, I hope there's animosity between you and I hope you destroy each other is the idea. And Jotham ran away and fled. And he went to Beer and dwelt there for fear of Abimelech, his brother. So he yells at the top of this mountain, you guys are all, yeah, this moment, and he just takes off. And he's got a good head start on him at the top of the hill. That's a good place to start running downhill and they got to run up. And so he gets away from them all. So it's been said, and I don't know if this kid's following the Lord or not, it seems to. It may be, he may be the only brother that's really walking with the Lord. And, and, and there, there is always a remnant. As, as, as bad as Israel is, as, as, as there's no judge right now, and they're apostate, there's always someone who's thinking about God. There always is. Um, and, and God calls us to look for those people. Uh, and not always, you know, the, the world, it's just a terrible place. In the church, it's so terrible. And it's, okay, for the most part, it is. But there's a lot of good also there. There's a lot of people that want to follow the Lord in this world. And there's a lot of people that want to be true to the Holy Spirit and, and be led by Jesus in the church. It's not always that way. And we're supposed to look for that, to be fruit finders, not fault finders. And this is one of those guys. This Jotham um, is, is one of those guys that says, you know, and, when he and we know this based on the way he describes his dad there in that little statement, that parenthetical statement there. Hyphens on either side. Uh, for my father fought for you, risked his life, and delivered you out of the hand of Midian, um, and, and so on, and, 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 and try to describe what, what had happened in the history. And sometimes they forget history. Uh, you get bored. Um, and so you're willing to repeat history because you're bored with this current state of peace. And that's what's happened to these guys. They're just sitting around. It's, it's kind of nothing going on. We got rid of God. We're serving Baal. And why don't we kill all of them and just, you know, do a coup, basically. And, and Jotham calls them on it. Now, after Abimelech had reigned over Israel three years, so they didn't find this guy for three years, um, and the, the, the prophecy's that old right now. So think about how long that is. It takes three years for that enmity that he just prophesied about to take place. God's, God's got time on his, on, his, on his side and on his mind also. God sent a spirit of ill will between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. And the men of Shechem dealt treacherous, treacherously with Abimelech. That the crime done to the 70 sons of Jerubbabel might be settled and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother, uh, who killed them, and on the men of Shechem, who aided him in the killing of his brothers. And the men of Shechem set men in ambush against him on the top of the mountains, and they robbed all who passed by 
passed by them along the way, and it was told Abimelech. Ruling's fine if you want to be the top dog and be in charge, but it ain't always roses. So these guys that you've married, basically, and, and got this conspiracy going, now they're robbing everybody on top of the hill. You've got you to gotta do something about it where you're supposed to anyway. Um, and, and so who used to be your friends or who used to be on your side, now you've got to, mm, you guys can't be robbing everybody on top of the hill. Well, we made you king. And so you got that whole thing started now. Now, Gaul, I'm going to call him Gaul. It's probably Gaal. Um, let's do Gaal. That's better. Now, Gaal, the son of Ebed, he's no good either, came with his brothers and went over to Shechem. And the men of Shechem put their confidence in him. So they went out into the fields and gathered grapes from their vineyards and trod them and made merry. So they went and, you know, had a party. And they went into the house of their God and they ate and drank and cursed Abimelech. Um, now, these probably aren't fermented grapes. Um, obviously, you can't ferment that fast if you just picked them and stomped them and drank them. This is more like a grape juice party. But um, nevertheless, it does sound an awful lot of like a bunch of guys getting together and they've had a few too many, you know. And they start talking bad about one of the other guys that isn't there, you know. So that's the, that's the sense I get. So whether it's alcohol or whether they're just that evil, I don't know. Uh, then Gaal, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech? And who is Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jerubbaal? And is not uh, Zebul his officer? Serve the men of uh, Hamer, uh, the father of Shechem. But why should we serve him? If only this people were under my authority, then I would remove Abimelech. So he said to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. So this guy thinks it's better. You know, it would be a lot better if I was, you know, if I was the benevolent dictator. You know? <laughs> and people always say that. Uh, we need a socialist society. We need a communist society. We need one person just to kind of lay out the laws. And oh, That didn't work out so well. He killed a bunch of people. You know? uh, it would have been better. It would have worked better if I was the benevolent dictator telling everybody what to do because my morals are pure as the wind-driven snow. And, uh, and you know, it never works because men are... At the core, and this is a side note, at the core, men have a, and women, obviously, man, mankind, we have a sin nature. Whereas the humanist declares that man is not inherently evil, but man is inherently good, and just that needs to be discovered and nurtured and so on. And whereas God says, absolutely not. You have a sin core that I've come to deal with. And so your default is sin. Your default is evil. Uh, whereas the humanist says your default is good. You just have been, you know, uh, made into this person. We can, we can change you, and it's just not the case. And so Gaal says, you know, why don't, why don't I be the guy? So he picks a fight. Now, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 52, when Jesus says, if you live by the sword, you've got to die by the sword, okay? A lot of people take that verse out of context and think, you know, you should, no swords ever, and swords are just evil, and if you pick up a sword, then you're going to die by the sword. In fact, Jehovah's Witness used that, and that's why they don't join the army and, and, and serve in the military, anything like that. They have these funny views. This is what it means. Matthew chapter 26, verse 52, in this story in Judges is the description of that. If you're going to take authority and power by your own strength and will in the flesh by the sword, you can plan on it that it's going to come back to bite you, is the idea. So in other words, what's, what, what Abimelech did is now coming back to bite him through Gael, but that's not going to be the end. Gael's going to die too. They're, they're all going to perish by the sword. They lived by the sword. They died by the sword. So that's the meaning of that. Moving on, verse 30. When Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gael, the son 
uh, of Ebed, his anger was aroused. And he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly saying, take note, Gael, the son of Ebed, and his brothers have come to Shechem, and here they are. So this is like the mayor of the town, right? And he's hearing them talking about how they're going to take over the town and all that. He's like, eh. So he gives some intel. Um, this is uh, Zebul gives some intel to Abimelech. Hey, your, your power's being taken over. Take note of this guy, Gael. Now, therefore, get up by night. You and the people who are with you lie in wait in the field, and it shall be as soon as the sun is up in the morning, that you shall rise early and rush upon the city. And when he and the people who are with him come out against you, you may then do to them as you find opportunity. So he even gives them a plan. Hey, come down here. They're not expecting you. Lie in wait. When the sun comes up, just rush the city and you, you've got them. So Abimelech and all the people who were with him arose by night, lay in wait against Shechem in four companies. So they divide up. That's one thing with God's with you, like Gideon. And you divide up into some companies. It's a whole other thing when man tries to imitate God's work. It doesn't work out so well. Um, so they divide up into four companies and they're going to rush the place. Um, and when Gaal saw the people, he said to Zebul, look, people are coming down from the tops of the mountains. So Zebul kind of lets him know, hey, you know what? I don't know why he's letting them know. I guess he wants them. I guess he wants to fight outside the city. He doesn't want them getting all the way in the gates, but he decides he's, hey, look, um, you know, you need to go out there and take care of these guys out there. And here's what they said. Um, but Zebul said to them, you see the shadows of the mountains as if they were men. Oh, I got that backwards. I'm sorry. Zebul's trying to tell him not to, to worry about it. Uh, it's nothing. It's nothing. It's just shadows. So Gael spoke again and said, see, people are coming down from the center of the land. And another company uh, is coming from divine, uh, the diviner's terebinth tree. And that's that terebinth tree we talked about earlier. That's the diviner's terebinth tree. <coughs> Then Zebul said to him, where indeed is your mouth now? With which you said, who is Abimelech uh, that we should serve him? So now he's kind of poking him. Why don't you get out there and fight? Are not these the people whom you despised? Go out, if you will, and fight them. Uh, fight with them now. So Gael went out, leading the men of Shechem. You guys are talking big with your big party over there, talking about how you're going to take them out. Well, here they are. Why don't you go do what you said you were going to do last night? And Abimelech chased him. So he loses. Uh, Gael loses, and, and he fled from him, and many fell wounded and, uh, at, to the very entrance of the gate. Then Abimelech dwelt at Aruma, and Zebul drove out Gael and his brothers so that they would not dwell in Shechem. Okay, so we got a little twist going on here. He just pushes them all the way out. You're not going to live here anymore, even after they got defeated. Move them out. All right. You think it's over? It's not. And it came about on the next day, the next day, it doesn't take long, that the people went out into the field and they told Abimelech. So he took his people, divided them into three companies, there it is again, and lay in wait in the field. And he looked, and there were the people coming out of the city, and he rose again against them and attacked them. Then Abimelech and his company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city, and the other two companies rushed upon all who were in the fields and killed them. So Abimelech fought against the city all that day, and they took the city and killed the people who were in it. And he demolished the city and sowed it with salt. That's the idea. They put salt down. Nothing can grow there ever again. It kind of ruins the soil and everything. Now, congratulations. You're a king of nobody. I mean, you go into the city and you wipe them all out, and now I'm the king of this city. Yeah, but you killed everybody. Men just don't make sense. 
Um, maybe it was an example, and he's trying to show that his force and power is stronger than everybody's, but you just killed everybody that you were supposed to have willingly under your authority, you know? And that's what happens. When man rises to power because of man's will, um, and they try to put themselves over on people, and, 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 and people don't want to be there, well, then you got to kill them to keep them. And that's what's happened with every single dictator that's ever, ever existed. Every socialist society, every communist society, every one of them have all fallen victim to this very same thing. I want you to, I'm going to make it a utopian society, they said. We're going to take everybody's money and give it out to everybody evenly. That way nobody has to worry about food or water. We're all going to be taken care of. And that's great if everybody's got a great work ethic. And, but they don't. And Bob's over there laying on his couch and Fred is hoeing his garden and he's looking at Bob saying, get off the couch. Why? I'm going to get half your work today anyway. What difference does it make? So now this utopian dictator's got to enforce it. He's got to come down and say, Bob, you got to get off the couch and work. I don't want to work. I got Fred working out there, you know, and that's their thought. So they kill Bob as an example. And all of a sudden everybody's dying. And then you got all that's left is this dictator up here and Millions of people dead every single time. Men cannot rule themselves. We do not rule ourselves well. It fails every time when we try to do so. We have to be ruled by someone greater than us, someone higher than us. We have to be rated, ruled by God. We have to. In my own life, personally, I have to be ruled by God because I don't rule my life well. None of us do. Don't fool yourself. Only when I'm led by God. Am I ruling well in my life? Is, is thing, are things going correctly when I'm ruled by God? It doesn't work to have God as an advisor in my kingdom. It, it can't be like that as Christians. God has to be our king, and we don't advise him on anything. We're servants in the kingdom of God, is what we're called to be, not advisors to God. Sometimes my prayers sound like I'm advising God, honestly. Even at this late stage, I mean, I've been a believer for over 25 years now. And, you know, you'd think my prayers had mature a little bit, but sometimes I find myself giving God some direction. You know, here's some advice. I can really use this. And this would be great if that would happen, and this would happen, this would happen. And he's going, thanks for the advice, but I think I've got it, you know. Anyway, we got to be careful to let Jesus be king. I was thinking there, was we were, I saw a, a, a wreath on, I don't know, somewhere. It was half... Christmas wreath and the other half was thorns, you know, and it's a good idea. The idea was, you know, Christmas is, this is the reason for the season kind of thing is what they're trying to get across. And I got to think, wouldn't it be cool to have a, a crown of thorns? That's fine. But then have a gold crown on top as we were singing that song about gold saying, yeah, this is where he started. This is the crown we gave him, but this is the crown he truly has to remind us each and every day or to remind myself at least every day that he is a king. He's not on the cross anymore. He's not in the tomb anymore. He's seated at the right hand of God and he's ruling and reigning right now. He is a king, you know, um, just for my sake. So I'm going to make one of those and sell them, I think. That's what I'm going to do. Now, there they are. He salted it. Now, when all the men of the tower of Shechem had heard that, they entered the stronghold of the temple of the god Bereth. Um, that's Baal Bereth. And it was told Abimelech that all the men of the tower of Shechem were gathered together. Then Abimelech went up on the mountain of Zalman 
he and all the people who were with him, and Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a bough from the tree and took it and laid it on his shoulder. And then he uh, said to the people who were with him, what you've seen me do, make haste and do as I have done. So everybody get a bough. Here's my axe and go get some branches. Um, big branches he had to put on his shoulder. So it's not like a, a twig. It's like a, you know, it's a, it's a deal. Um, so do what I've told you to do. So they do this and they basically go lay all these things up against this tower and they light it on fire with everybody inside. These are the people that had told him about Gaal, but now they're in the tower and they're fighting each other. Everybody's fighting each other. And so they light this tower on fire, it says, and a thousand people died. Men and, men and women, both. They're all in this tower and they all just they got cremated, basically. Um, they're all toast. That's a bad way to put it, but I mean, they, were, they just got burned up. Then Abimelech went to uh, Thebes and he encamped against Thebes and took it. See how he's on a roll now? You ever get to that place where you lose your temper with someone and, 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 and now every, you got scorched earth? You kind of look around and say, who else can I yell at that I have a thing against, you know? Man, we got to be careful. Or maybe you've seen that happen at work or something. Oh, they're on a tirade today. Steer clear of Bob. I don't know why I pick on Bob, but um, he's lazy and he's angry, I guess. What you've seen me do, do. We killed a thousand people. So he goes to Thebes and he camps there. But there was a strong tower in the, in the city. So he's going to do the same thing. Let's go get some bow branches. All the people of the city fled there and shut themselves into this tower. Now these folks are a little different. The whole story has been leading up to this one moment. So if you've tuned out, tune back in. This is where it gets good. So Abimelech came as far as the tower and fought against it. And he drew near the door of the tower to burn it with fire. So they got their branches. Again, they're going to do the same thing. But a certain woman dropped an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Another coloring page. Um, then he called quickly to the young man, so he's still kind of alive and breathing, so it was a slow death, his armor bearer, and he said to him, draw your sword and kill me, lest men say of me, a woman killed me. Is that not a perfect picture of a man's pride? Hurry up, kill me before someone says a woman told me. You know, it, what a ridiculous statement. Would you kill me? Okay. You know, I mean, what a... And you know what? It didn't work, did it? <laughs> We all know how he died. A certain woman dropped a giant rock on his head. You know, somebody kill me before somebody finds out this woman dropped a rock on my head. Nope, it's too late. It's immortalized in God's word for thousands of years, forever. Millstones. You see that come up a lot. Jesus used that in one of his. Put that child in the middle of him. He says, if anybody messes with one of these kids, it'd be better than a millstone be hung around your neck. If you cause this little kid to stumble, it'd be better than a millstone be hung around your neck and you'd be thrown into the river. I mean, that's a pretty serious statement to come from, you know, Jesus. Mr. Feed 5,000 and heal everybody and loves everybody, you know. And then he says, by the way, if you cause one of these little kids to stumble, that's how serious he was about people coming in between people and God. He hated that when people come in between people and God. If you cause one of these little ones to stumble, you know, cement shoes for you is what he's talking. And that's some serious stuff. And so we see this millstone come up. They're heavy. I mean, they're big. Anyway, this woman flips it over the edge and <laughs> gets the guy. You know, this is another one. Um, anyway, so he thrusts him through and he dies. And he died. Um, and when the men of Israel saw 
that Abimelech was dead, they departed every man to his place. Thus God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech, uh, which he had done to his father by killing his 70 brothers and all the evil of the men of Shechem. God returned on their own heads and on them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbabel. Now 10 is really quick. We've got about 10 minutes left, so we'll get through this uh, pretty well. But this kind of goes along the same lines of picking out a God for yourself. Okay. After Abimelech, there arose to save Israel Tola, the son of Pua, the son of Dodo, a man of Issachar. And he dwelt at uh, Shemir in the mountains of Ephraim. He judged Israel 23 years, and he died and was buried at Shemir. And that's all we know about uh, Tola. Now, Jair. After him arose Jair, a, a Gileadite, uh, a child of Gilead. And he judged Israel 22 years. Now, he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys. They also had 30 towns, which are called Havoth Jair, to this day, uh, which are in the land of Gilead. Uh, and Jair died and was buried in Kaman. Um, so those, the idea of the 30 is each one of those boys ruled each one of those towns. Because when you ride on a donkey, you're kind of in a place of authority, and like a judge, sort of. And, and so that's who those guys were. Now, we're gearing up for Jephthah, the next judge, next week, okay? So we've got to get the background on it, and that's all the rest of this uh, chapter is, is the background to get us up to Jephthah. Uh, then the children of Israel, again, did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths, the gods of Syria. They just can't get rid of those two things in their lives. They just keep coming back. Um, and and uh, I, I think part of it is the way they describe it. Um, well, here's how they describe it when they come back to God. They put away the gods of Baal and the gods of Ashtoreth. And it kind of wonder, it makes me wonder, did they just put them in a drawer? You know, instead of destroy them and wipe them out and any memory of them at all, they just put away those idols and now they're back to God. And I know it means probably that they tore them down and they burned them, but the way these gods keep coming back into their lives, it's as if they just put them in the cupboard temporarily, you know. And then they looked back there and some kid found him at Christmas and brought him out. And t there's no Christmas, but brought him out and said, look, what these little, this, 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 oh yeah, I forgot about those little things. We should put those out. And then it begins again. And I'm saying that because this represents sin in our lives. Baal, asterisks, these are things we bow down to. We leave God because when we're around God and in his presence, he exposes sin and we like our sin, so we don't like him. But when we have God, he, he, he shines light in our dark lives and he exposes those things. And, and, and what I find is when we go back to our sin, the bales and the asterisks, it just naturally moves us away from God because if he's in our life, then we, we can't sin like we like to, you know? Um, anyway, the whole idea is this, is it sneaks back up on us. So be careful about putting away your sin. Make sure you're using the right words and actually using the right actions in your life. Are you absolutely destroying and wiping out that sin in your life so there's no remembrance of it and no way for it to come back into your life? Or do you seek to control it better? Have better handle on that sin. And so that it doesn't become sin, it becomes more of a, a, a vice maybe, or just a little less than a sin. You've got to wipe it out. Don't just put it away. Burn it. Destroy it. You know. So they go back to these things. Verse 7, so the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. He is a jealous God. He knows that if we worship these things, it's detrimental to our health and also to our relationship with him. And so he gets mad about these things. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the people of Ammon. 
When we're in God's lap, we're in when God's territory, when, when we're under God's authority, we're protected. When we move outside of that authority, he lets these things, the Philistines of our lives, come in. He lets them so that we cry out to him because that's the idea. You guys have to want me. If you don't want me, you don't have to have me. You're on your own. Good luck with the Philistines until you get tired of them and you come back to me. From that year, they harassed and oppressed the children of Israel, these Philistines did. For 18 years, all the children of Israel who were on the other side of the Jordan in the land of the Amorites and in, in, in Gilead, uh, moreover, the people of Ammon crossed over the Jordan to fight against Judah also, uh, against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. I mean, these guys were everywhere just picking fights. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. There it is. They cry out. We have sinned against you because we have both forsaken our God and served the Baals. So that's good. They came to the end of their own gods, not me. And that's what happens. We will worship other gods as long as everything's rosy, but when things go south, everybody turns back to the true and living God. Our country is a classic example of that. We don't want him in school. We don't want anything anything to do with him. We've got to keep him out of public eye. Um, it's old school. Everybody's God is the same God. We all need to coexist. You see the bumper stickers everywhere until that person's in trouble. Something bad happens in their life. And then they either blame the true and living God, who they haven't worshipped their whole lives because he's no better than anybody else, or they cry out to the true and living God because they know he's the only one that can truly answer. Now, this is a sacred cow that I'm probably going to hit on here, and I hope it doesn't offend too many people, but I have some family members in my life that have difficulty with substance abuse. I'll put it that way. And they're in different programs. One of them is a 12-step program of AA, and that's, that's great. Um, I don't have a problem with it until they've revised it. Uh, and, and I have a point here. Um, AA start off with, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous start off with a group that, with, a, with the belief that Jesus needed to be over your life. Jesus needed to be over your life and rule and reign. And he was the higher power. He was the God that you had to surrender your life to. And that's part of the 12 steps if you read them. But because that was too narrow and they wanted it to broaden and as AA grew worldwide, they had to change those terms to not mean Jesus, just God, and not just God, but God as you see him. And so this higher power that's supposed to be over you because you can't control yourself so you need to be you need to turn it over to a much bigger God, obviously, has now become defined by the very person as you see him, you see? So literally, the tree out there, as I see it, could be God. And, that, and, and that's easy. Until I stumble, until I fall, until I'm not doing so anymore, and you don't go out to that tree that you claimed was God because you will not have this man rule over you. But this tree, I can look at it. That's how I define God. Nobody goes to the tree or whatever they defined God as and bow down to it and say, please help me in this hour of need. Please come and speak to me. Please help me not. Help me, help, help me to not have that drink or that, or that to shoot up or to whatever it is that you're addicted to. No, they always go to the true and living God. But it's only in their hour of need and so the, the AA program was pretty good. I mean, there's one step to getting off substance, and that's to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. These 12 steps just happen to be biblical steps. They're all things that you should do as a Christian, though, you know. Um, anyway, I say all that because 
that's what's happened here. They have defined God as they see him, Baal, Asterisk, whatever, but now they're in trouble and they know that they can't go to Baal. They can't go to Asterisk because those were gods that let them sin, but now their sin has gotten them in trouble. So now they have to go to a, the true and living God. And, and I say all that in, maybe in a smaller group setting. Be aware of that in this world. Um, people need Jesus. They don't need God. They don't need a higher power. Um, they don't need a God as they define them. They need Jesus. And that should be the name that comes off of my lips when I talk to people about salvation, when I talk about redemption, when I talk about sins being forgiven, when I talk about heaven, entrance into heaven. It can't just be, you know, you just need to get closer to God. No. You need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He needs to become king of your life. And that should be the name that comes off of my, all, all of our lips. Because none of this stuff, 12 steps of AA has absolutely neutered themselves by changing it from a higher power to as you see it. You've now made it you again. You that got you in trouble is now defining your salvation and whom it's going to be. And it, it doesn't work anymore. It's absolutely worthless now. Um, it's ineffective. Before it was very powerful because it was left in the hands of a very powerful God, Jesus Christ. All right. So the Lord said to the children of Israel, did I not deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the people of Ammon and uh, from the Philistines? Also the Sidonians uh, and the Amalekites and the Moanites oppressed you and you cried out to me and I delivered you from their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. Go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. Now, why is he doing this? I think he wants them to, to mean it. I don't want you to be sorry that you're caught or sorry that you're in a hard time. I want you to just, you need to experience the fruit of what you've sown, you know? The, the seeds of sin that you've sown in your life, sometimes they have to come to fruition in your life and you have to eat them. For you to truly never want to sow those seeds again is the idea. And so God does that. I mean, talk about AA you got to come to the end of yourself. I can't do this for you. You've got to want to worship me, you know? And the children of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do to us whatever seems best to you, only deliver us this day, we pray. In other words, this is the, this is the answer he's looking for. Deliver us today, but we want to throw, our, throw ourselves at your mercy. You're our judge. We admit our sin. We admit everything you said is absolutely true. There's no arguing there's no justifying. So important. My repentance can't be coupled with a justification as to why I stumbled or why I sinned or why I jumped into it. My repentance can't be coupled with anything other than just, you're absolutely right. And throwing yourselves at the feet of God for true judgment. And they do that. This is what he wanted. So they put away their foreign gods from among them. In other words, they hadn't up to this point. So now they put away the foreign gods from among them uh, and served the Lord. Hopefully they didn't, well, they did. They stuck him in a drawer. But. And his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. And any parent that has a prodigal knows exactly what God is feeling like right now. As you prayed for this child, as you've hoped for this child, 
as you've trained this child up and they keep walking away and you're like, they just have to come to the end of themselves and you see and you have pity on them after a while. It's like, I, did, I, know, I know I've done this before. I've helped them out. I've got them out of this. And I said no like three times. With that fourth time, you're like, all right, come home. You can sleep in the basement or you can come home. I just need your help. You got God's heart when you have that. You do. God's got the same heart. He knows he's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He knows that they're not going to do well, that Jephthah's not going to go well, that we have like 10 more judges to go. Ups and downs. But God, he could no longer endure the misery of Israel. And as a parent, I think we get that. Then the people of Ammon gathered together and encamped at Gilead, excuse me, and the children of Israel assembled together and encamped at Mizpah. And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, who is the man who will begin the fight against the people of Ammon? He shall uh, uh, be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And that sets us up for next week. It's going to be Jephthah, okay? So, all right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we were able to have a nice warm uh, building to meet in today and to uh, worship you, first of all, with our singing, um, with our songs of praise, um, in spiritual songs and in hymns. You called us to do that when we speak to one another and to you. And so we were able to do that. And we got into your word today too, Lord. A couple chapters of, of wonderful deliverance by you. And we also got to see the foolishness of man's rule over themselves. Um, Lord, help us to take this to heart, to chew on this, to apply it to our lives. Um, and let, as JC prayed earlier, Lord, that we'd be doers of your word and, and live by these things. We thank you, Lord. Help, help everybody get home safely today. And anybody that might be coming to second service, help them to get here safely today. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, have a good week, you guys. Be careful when you drive home.